following message is recorded at City Light Church in Vicksburg, Mississippi. City Light Church exists to shine the light of Christ in our city and world through the transformed lives of His people. For more information on the church and its ministries, please visit www.citylightvicksburg.org. Something very different about that person that that alarms me. 
should learn all of us. And so we're going to talk about that first as well. So, like I said, there's people there that are there that are interested. That's kind of like crowd number one. We're, we're going to we're going to discount crowd number one today because we're going to go straight into verse sixty when Jesus begins to talk about crowd number two. All right. Crowd number two is the unbelieving masses. These are people that are actually disciples, quote unquote, at this point of Jesus. They are following him. They are subscribing to the things that he's saying. But there's about to be something that Jesus says that's going to literally change the dynamic of this group. This group is going to be destroyed. It's going to be demolished because of what Jesus said. So in verse 60, it says, when many of his disciples heard it, this is crowd number one, they said, this is a hard saying who can listen to. But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? He is the Spirit who gives life, and flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. And Jesus knew from the beginning who those were, who did not believe, and who was, who would be, who would betray him. So they heard something, and then they responded. They responded after hearing something. What actually, what actually did they hear? And we talked about what they heard actually last week. If you were, if you were here with us, you, you learned what they heard. But, but as a recap for those that were here and can't remember or for those that weren't here, let's talk a little bit about what they heard. This moment in history, let's think about it. Beginning of chapter 6, people were following Jesus. Crowds were increasing because of the signs and the wonders that Jesus was doing. He was feeding people. We talked about how he fed people off of a two-piece fish meal, fed 5,000 plus. So they're seeing miracles everywhere. They're, cross, they're crossing banks of seas to get over to where Jesus is when he leaves one place and goes to the next. They're following him everywhere that he goes. They sought to perform an on-site coronation of Jesus. They wanted to crown him king right then and there when they saw that miracle of the two feasts, fish dinner. They said to themselves, this must be the king who has come to set everything right. This must be the king who has actually come to push Rome out of our way and make Israel great again. They followed him everywhere. And it seemed that they were ready to follow him not only to one bank, from one bank to the next, but it seemed like they were ready to follow him to the ends of the earth. But something changed in this chapter. We talked about it. Jesus began to unravel their true motives for following him. This unraveling happens in a number of different ways. The first way that he begins to unravel it is that Jesus shows that they are more interested in material and physical things and not necessarily him. That they're more interested in food, getting food, getting fed, the buffet dinner. That they're more interested in political power and, and seeing that he takes the throne. That they're more interested in miraculous demonstrations for self-serving reasons. Jesus, our fathers, they had manna rain down from heaven. What are you going to do? I know you did that, that miracle yesterday with the two-piece, but, but do you have anything else for us that you're going to show us? Jesus calls them out on that and says that you're, you're here for the loaves. You're here for the food, but you're not here. 
here for what the food is pointing to, which is me. You're not here for what the signs are supposed to actually lead you to, which is my lordship, my kingship over your life. Another thing that began, that Jesus began to unravel in, in, in their true motives was that they refused to give up control over their own motives or their own matters of faith. Jesus, in, in verse 46, Jesus says to them, Therefore the Jews started complaining about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they were saying, Isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he say now, I have come down from heaven? And Jesus answered them, Stop complaining among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has listened and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. They started complaining when Jesus said, I am the bread that comes down from heaven. They said, wait a second, we know this dude. This is Mary's fault. This is Joseph's fault. What is he talking about? How is it that we got to go through him for anything? They weren't ready to relinquish this, this self-sustaining faith that they had. They weren't ready to relinquish this self-sustaining control over their lives. And so they wrestled with Jesus as he began to say, listen, I'm the answer, I'm the way. Jesus begins to unravel their true motives. He also begins to unravel their true motives because they were offended that he places himself on a level that exceeds their forefathers. Talks about Moses, and they kept they kept bringing up Moses, Moses, our forefathers. They ate manna. They ate manna. God fed them for forty years, and Jesus says, "Listen, the bread that they had, they died from. They died eating. In other words, the bread they had it was good bread. It was great bread. It was heavenly bread, but it wasn't bread meant to sustain them forever. I am the bread that's meant to sustain you forever." If you know the Jewish people, the, the ancient Jewish people in this moment, you know that nobody messes with their Moses. And so as Jesus began to esteem himself above Moses, they begin to unravel. He began to see that they're not here, or, or we begin to see as we read, that they're not here for Jesus. But what really drove them away is when Jesus began to use a metaphor Speaking of his body, saying that unless you eat my flesh, drink my blood, you won't have life, you won't have eternal life. And we talked about how even the idea itself was repulsive to them. They were taught to never touch, taste anything that had any drop of blood remaining. And so the idea of Jesus saying, using this metaphor, was repulsive. But even the idea of Jesus, even if you go deeper than the metaphor, and you say, Jesus is talking about taking him in, as we discussed last week, indwelling him, or letting him and his words live in you, and letting him and his words reign in you and abide in you, so that you no longer move as you think you should move, but you move as he has called you to Even if you take it in that direction, they are offended. 
Because even though the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords are standing in their presence, they don't believe he is who he says he is. So all of this slowly but surely chips away at the fake allegiance the, the, declared by the masses that have been following him. The quote-unquote disciples. And that's what leads to verse 60 when he says, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can actually listen to? The Greek word here for saying is logos. And actually, it actually is not just simply a hard saying, but it's a hard teaching is what they're saying. This is a hard teaching. All these things that you just taught us, this conversation that we just had with you, this is difficult to hear. And the word hard is, 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 is not intended to, 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 to be translated as hard to understand. It's a Greek word that doesn't mean hard to understand. It's a Greek word that means hard to accept. Does that make sense to you? This commitment to embrace Jesus totally, this, this connection of eternal life to eternalizing Jesus and internalizing Jesus' words, this, this commitment to follow not for the signs, not for the comforts, and not for the promise or, or of power in this life, not for the promise of more in this life, but to follow because of the supremacy of the person himself. And the person's ability to shower you with eternal life. This is a hard saying. Hard to accept. What are we to make of this moment? What are we to think of this moment? First thing that we're to think of this moment is that faith belief often unravels in hard moments. We know what we believe. When the temperature of what we say what we believe in is turned upon us. Does it make sense? When the temperature of obedience rises, do we fight? Do we flee? Do we justify? Do we fall or do we get back up and continue to fight? What we believe in that moment, does that make sense? Or what we do in that moment shows us what we believe. And when what we believe is fake, in those moments it will begin to unravel. When I was in school at Mississippi State, nearly 20 years ago now, in computer engineering, there were in that major, what we call cut classes. These were classes, and many of you are probably familiar with them if you've been to college and, and taken some, taken some, some, of these, some of these types of classes. But these were classes that seemed like the only purpose for their existence was to weed out people. I mean, you, you would take this class, and about two weeks in, you would be saying to yourself, oh, ever know if I'm going to see any of this. I don't ever know if anybody's going to pay me to look at any of this. I don't know if there's anything to do with this. I, I don't even know if this is real. Is this, is this even real, what we're being taught right now? Doesn't even seem real. But yet, we were taking it, and people were struggling through it. The teacher would mercifully curve our grades, and A's would be 65s. 
speeds would be 55. Just, it would just be, it would literally be, it would, it would literally be 18 weeks of a bloodbath, right? And everybody's just like, I don't even know if I want to do this anymore. And we begin to surmise that, I think this is the point. Figure out who wants to do this. Who really wants to do this? Do, do you want to do this? Okay, we got a class for you. And people would drop and people would cut and, and people, people would walk out and they would literally leave the major itself. Because they realized, listen, I'm not going to get past this class. We call them cut classes. We have a few in my major. It took so much out of it. I took these classes over late nights of Mountain Dew and early mornings of drinking tears for drinking. <laughs> but I was committed to the fact that, hey, I believe, I believe that this is what God has called me to do, be it go and get my computer engineering. So through blood, sweat, and tears, I kept clawing, kept clawing, kept praying, kept asking God for mercy and for grace had study groups with multitudes of people just to get through. Because I believe that that's what I was supposed to be doing with my academic career. Jesus is taking them through a cut class in Christianity. He is pressing in to answer this one question. Who are the true followers in this crowd? Who's come for me? Not for the food, not for the political power and status. Not for the promise of blessings. Who has shown up for me? America is in a unique Christian expression in this sense, right? We, we have a unique Christian expression in this sense, in this one sense. It is conditioned for crowds to show up. American Christianity is conditioned for crowds. You can show up anywhere in this country right now on this Sunday morning and probably hear the most motivational speech you will hear all week. You will probably hear the best live music you will hear all week. You will probably find a sense of belonging. You will probably find a sense of community. Heck, even like this crowd, you will find mountains of great food on this morning anywhere in this country. And there is nothing wrong with any of that. But the point is, is that it is conditioned to allow crowds to sweat. But the danger in that is that many of us go about our Christian ministry in the States with no cut classes. In other words, there are never any times we have any hard sayings for the people that gather. God forbid we give them anything hard, they'll leave. But here in this text, we, it seems like Jesus is saying that's precisely the point. Who here is here for me? Or do we just allow people to just gather and never push and never prod and never challenge their motivations, never challenge their motives? Never call their intentions, their intentions for being here to the carpet. 
Never, never challenge him to cry out to God and say, Lord, help me. Help my heart. He's asking, why are we here? Without that, this is there, it's, it's not true. It's not true Christianity. It may be nice, it may be polite, it may, it may, it may draw everyone. It may, it may, it may draw plenty of people, but it is not true. It's not true. It forsakes the way of our Lord. True Christianity forces us to wrestle with our sexual temptations and, and to seek and to fight and to claw and to fail and to get back up and to keep fighting, to fall again and to keep fighting, to seek control over them rather than just simply roll over and be mastered by them. True Christianity forces us to struggle with our selfishness and the way that we utilize our own power and our own privilege and our own time and our own money and our own possessions and ask ourselves, in what ways am I reflecting my Savior and what he has given to me? It pushes us in that direction. It, true Christianity pushes us to pursue internal and external righteousness. Not just righteousness of self, but righteousness in what we pursue for our neighbor. It's called justice. And ask ourselves the question, do I care about my neighbor or do I simply care about myself? True Christianity pushes and prods and challenges us in that way. It forces us to grapple with the idea of repentance. The idea that we at the root of embracing and accepting Jesus Christ as Lord of our life is the action of turning away from the old life where we live as we desire and live in pursuit of all that we desire or all that we felt was best and instead turning towards the new life that's found in Christ where we desire to live as he desires for us. And in pursuit of all, he says is best for us. True Christianity forces us in those directions. It doesn't just simply leave us comfortable, complacent, free to do whatever we want to do, free to live however we want to live. That's proud mentality. Ultimately, true Christianity forces us to wrestle with the claims of Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior. The hard teachings, the hard saying. The ones that tell us that we were saved not by him taking a seat on an earthly throne, but we were saved by him taking a seat on an earthly tree. The one that tells us that we receive eternal life by fully consuming him and his words and allowing him to rule and reign in us versus wearing him like an accessory that we can take on and take off after Sunday service. Forces us to wrestle with the ones or the sayings, the hard teachings that tell us we must follow him. Even if in doing so, brings us to an early grave. Christianity forces us to answer the question, who are we truly following? The crowds would say, not just the crowds in John 6. The crowds scattered across this globe would say, this is the hard saying. leads me to the next point that faith belief often seeks a consensus. This is a hard saying. Who can follow it? There's nobody that can do this. The crowd, the crowd disciples, quote 
also are pushing against disbelieving alone. Not only is it a hard saying for me, it's a hard saying for all of us. Who can actually follow these teachings that he's giving us? Who can follow these commandments? They're unreasonable. Not just for me, but they're unreasonable for everybody. Humans are tribal by nature. And so in other words, we seek consensus when we decide to take her off. We don't want to just take her off alone. We want to find a way to take her off and bring everybody along with us, right? We want to, we, it's, it's not just good enough for you to kind of continue on this road. We want to say, no, 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 you're doing way too much of this Christian thing. It doesn't really take off. Laying down your life for the, for the sake of Jesus, that is way too much. That is a, excessive. I believe in Jesus too. But what you're doing is just unreasonable. Does that make sense? Our nature in our unbelief is to seek to gain a consensus along with us, as the crowds here do. We're looking for validation to tell us that it's okay. It's okay to put them on Sunday morning, take them off. It's okay to say that he's Lord and Savior and do and live however you please. It's okay. We're looking for validation. We're looking for validation that says, hey, just live for you, man. You don't have to worry about neighbor. We're looking for, for validation to say, hey, really, really, yeah, 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 it's absolutely about political power, and we should forsake and, and we should and we should neglect or we should literally sacrifice every single Christian principle that we have for the sake of it. We're looking for validation. We're looking for someone to say, yes, yes, that's what we're supposed to do. Just like the crowd is looking for their validation not to follow them when he challenges them in a hard way. Don't take the book is here for you to read. The Bible is here. When you read his, when you read his teachings, take them at his word. Does that make sense? Don't let, don't let the crowds drive you in another direction. When you look at the words of Jesus and he calls you to come and to die, if any man would come after me, let him take up his cross, let him deny himself, let him follow me. When he calls you to that, take him at his word. Don't look for the crowds to give you assurance or validation that that's what he, that, that it's okay not to do that when you see him calling you to do that. Take him at his word. Faith belief is consistent. Jesus says in this text that knowing in himself the disciples that his disciples were grumbling about this. He said to them, do you take offense at this? Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending where he was before? But there were some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. Faith belief is consistent. In other words, Jesus says that this isn't a new development. Right? They just, they just didn't all of a sudden stop believing. Yes, they've been walking. They've been following me. They've been joining me on, on, the, on these great journeys. But they didn't just stop, start not believing. Jesus said they would never believe. 
faith belief is consistent. It doesn't develop over time. Does that make, does that make sense to you? Not something that happens down the road and all of a sudden you say, well, you know, it kind of just fell, fell off here. No, Jesus is saying there was something wrong in the cultivation of this faith. There was something wrong in the root of this faith from the very beginning. It started wrong. Maybe you came for different reasons. Maybe you started going to church because you thought it was just a great thing to do and came up on a New Year's resolution one, one, one year and you said, you know what, hey, I'm going to start going to church. I mean, it's a great thing to do. People told me it's a great thing to do. And that, and that, and that great thing to do never transforms into genuine faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And eventually you realize, you know, well, I'm tired of going to church. I'm not a great thing to do it. It, it, nothing changed. Does that make sense? It isn't belief that stopped believing. It's just consistent faith belief. And this is what's happening. Jesus sees the disciples. He sees the people that have joined him on this journey. And he realizes that there are a number of people that are here that never really believed in this from the beginning. And so they're grumbling and they're, they're working through these hard sayings and they're preparing to go. And he's like, like you're never here, really. Faith belief is consistent. And faith belief is committed to making Jesus' words unattainable. They can't be reached. They can't be reached. They can't be, they, they, they can't, we can't, we can't do what you're asking us to do. Take you, internalize you? This is unreasonable. Who can do this? Our, 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 our time, oftentimes our Misunderstandings can serve as an obstacle to embracing Jesus and his good news. Sometimes, sometimes we're just wrestling with things that are being taught to us, right? And sometimes people don't teach them well. And sometimes we sometimes I don't teach them well and you don't teach them well to others. And, and people struggle to attain what it is that we're trying to communicate. But then there are other times. There are other times where our misunderstanding actually serves as our subconscious weapons against embracing Jesus and his good news. In other words, we act like we don't understand. We act like we can't reach it and grasp it. Because the reality is, is that if we acknowledge that we can grasp it, then that means that we have a commitment to actually pursue it. Does that make sense? Anybody track with that? So, so, so in other words, there are some times where we're like, ah, oh, you know, this, this, this is kind of debatable, you know, I, I think. You know, I hear what you're saying, brother, but it seems like we should go this way. I had a conversation once about the prosperity gospel with a brother. And we talked about the prosperity gospel, and we went through verse after verse after verse after verse after verse to say, listen, Jesus' will is not simply that everybody is wealthy. Jesus' will is that we may be made holy through him. He came to die that we would have eternal life, not simply be drowning in the riches of it. Right? And we worked through all these different scriptures. And at first he was kind of engaged. He had a few scriptures that he was throwing my way. And then the more scriptures we worked through, the less scriptures he threw my way. And it just got more and more one-sided until he got quiet. And then I said, well, what do you think about this, brother? He said, well, I see what you're saying, but you believe what you believe, and I'm going to believe what I'm going to And so what happens, what happens in those moments is, I understand exactly what you're saying, but it's too hard to let go of where I am. Track that, 
Faith belief oftentimes operates in that way. I'm not saying that that brother wasn't a believer. I'm giving you an example. Faith belief seeks in every shape, form, or fashion. Whenever hard things come your way, hard sayings, hard teachings come your way, you try to act like you can't really reach and grab something else hard that I can't understand. And this is what's happening in the crowd. They're wrestling over words that they really understand exactly what Jesus is saying. Faith belief rejects those words. He says in verse 62, then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to what was before. It is he who gives life. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Even when the words bring life, faith belief will reject them. Even when the words bring life, faith belief will reject them. Even when the words bring life, faith belief will reject them even when greater demonstrations are ahead. For example, what Jesus is saying is this. He's saying, you don't believe now, right? I'm saying these, I'm saying these things. I've shown you plenty. You don't believe now. Will you believe when I ascend into the heavens? Will you? No, because, as I, because there's a place that I got to cross in order to get there, and that is the cross where I'm going to die. And many of you are going to stumble over that because you're seeking to make me king, and you can't understand how a king would be crucified. And so even as I get to the place of ascending into the heavens, you're still not going to believe. Oftentimes we believe that if the right circumstances, the right situation comes along, then we, some of us, will believe. And the reality is, is that a lot of times that's not the case. Jesus can literally come down from heaven himself and some would still not say, you are Lord of my life. Do you understand that? Amen. You say, I don't believe you. Act Satan. Knows that God is one. Ask the demons. Know that God is one. But will not say he is Lord. Will not submit to lordship. Did not submit to lordship. But ultimately, faith belief needs to follow and transform to truth. Verse 64, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it's granted him by the Father. Here you see that those gathered never had real belief. Never, the reason they never had real belief is because they needed God in order to attain. You understand? We can't do anything about the lack of our belief without God the Father intervening. Jesus says, That's why I told you that no one can come to me unless he's granted by the Father. He's told them this on multiple occasions as we walk through John 6. You can't without God the Father. So what happened in verse 66? Well, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Faith crowd. Real briefly, let's look at the other crowd. 
Verse 67, so Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Do you want to leave too? All the crowds are gone. We've shut down the buffet for the evening. No more signs for the day. Only hard sayings. Are you ready to leave too? This is where true belief is fortified. True belief is fortified in the hard moments. True belief is fortified in the hard sayings. You find out what you believe when God calls you to something like this, right? Don't you? When you're struggling, wrestling with sin, and you're looking at the scripture, and the scripture is telling you, yeah, that's sin, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, you keep going back like, let me check, let me check tomorrow and see if this is sin. Yeah, this is, this is sin. That's when it's fortified, what you believe. The trust that you have in God, that's when it's fortified. Because that's when it requires you, that's when it requires you to do what? Realizing, man, I can't do this thing. I gotta go to him. And that's when it comes, that's when you realize that even when I go to him and, and, and even if in my flesh I fail, that's why he died for me. He died so, so that so that I might have a perfect sacrifice in my imperfection. That's when true belief begins to be solidified. Faith belief falters in these moments. True belief, it grows. Jesus says, are you leaving? And Peter answers and says, basically, we're not going anywhere. To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. True belief doesn't deny the hardness of the words. Peter didn't say, no, we're not going anywhere. You kidding me? These words are so easy. You just told us. <laughs> Why would we leave? Anybody can do this. That's not, that's, not, that's not what Peter said, right? He doesn't deny the hardness of the teaching. He did, he, what he denounces is that, is that there is another way to go outside of the one he teaches. He denies that there is anywhere else to go outside of the one he's teaching. Are you tracking so sure, yeah, it's hard, it's difficult. Yes, but you said the word, it is tough for me to hear. I, I, I want to do some other things. My life sometimes wants, I mean, I want to live my life my own way. Sometimes I don't want to embrace all that you say. Sometimes I don't want to go where you call me to go. But where else do I have to go? Is what he says. There's nowhere else to go. It's, it's, like, it's like telling someone, this, this is the direction to get to my house, right? And, 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 and my house is on a dead-end street. And you say, well, I mean, how about if I kind of go around and, you know, is there another way to get there? Just told you it was on a dead-end street. Only one way to get to my house. There is no other direction. You have to go down this road in order to get there. And so eternal life, yeah, we can look for different options. We can look for different roads. We can look for different streets. But it is a dead end road. Eternal life goes through Jesus Christ. Eternal life goes through eating his flesh, drinking his blood. In other words, eternal life goes through embracing the fullness of Christ in our being. 
for his glory and his glory alone. That's where eternal life is. Eternal life is trusting Jesus Christ as Lord and as Savior. And Peter says to Jesus, yes, this is hard. And yes, everybody has left that was once hanging out with us. We have 5,000 people with us. And there's nobody here now but us 12. But we realize we don't have anywhere else to go. We'd be fools to leave. We don't have anywhere else to go. Remind yourself of that. Remind yourself of that when you're sick in your body. You say, well, why am I suddenly You don't have anywhere else to go. It's through him that you have life. Not outside. Yeah, you can drop what you're going to leave. Because you're suffering, you can drop what you're doing and leave because you don't have any money in your pocket. You can drop what you're doing and leave because one of your kids show up in jail. You can drop what you're doing and leave because one of your kids show up wayward and disobedient. You can drop what you're doing and leave because you don't have a job or you lost your job. You can drop what you're doing and leave for all of those reasons. But the reality is, is that you will not find life because there is only life in one place. And you must go through the hardness. Nowhere else for eternal peace. Nowhere else for eternal comfort. Nowhere else for eternal life. Peter sees it, right? He says, he says that we believe and we have come to know. That's what true faith looks like. Does that make sense? True faith is evidence without the physical evidence. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. That's what the scripture says. True faith is knowledge without the physical appearance of it. Peter says, I don't know how this is all going to end, but I just know, I know it, that in you there is eternal life. And I'm not going to. That's the faith that God gives. Jesus answered, Verse 7, did I not choose you the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? And he spoke of Jesus, the son of Simon the Scary, for he, one of the twelve, is one of the traitors. I told you we talked about three different crowds. One is the, the unbelieving masses, the other is the believing few, which are the last group of folks that remain here with Peter. And then one is the deceiver. This is the guy that shows up in church on this. He's not missing any Sundays. He's a deacon. He's a church, he's a church treasure. He's taking care of the money. Pretty diligent. Every once in a while, a few dollars come up short. Nobody knows why. Keep reading the, keep reading the scriptures and you'll find out what I mean by that. But nevertheless, here's this man that's there, that's committed, showing up with the 12. And yet, never believes. As a matter of fact, moves in the direction of, of outright opposition in the end. 
Not, not, not the multitude of people that believe when they hear the heart say. They can trouble us. They trouble us, right? They, they, but if they don't trouble us, they don't trouble me nearly as much as the one who doesn't believe with the heart say. But the one who continues to stick away. Untransformed. Unregenerated. Unmoved by the words that he started with. He doesn't leave. He doesn't leave not because he's heard the words of eternal life. That's not why he doesn't leave. He's unmoved by the words and he continues to stay. What horrifies me when I think about churches on Sunday mornings is the multitudes of people that show up Sunday after Sunday unmoved by the words of Show up for ritual. Show up for habit. But show up unmoved. Leave unmoved. Come back, unmoved. Leave again, unmoved. May it never be so with those of us that have gathered in this room. As we hear the words of Christ, let us feast on them. Let us internalize them. And let us let those words transform our lives from unbelief to believe. Let us embrace those words. The words that Paul employed and Savior, let us make him with the help of his spirit our Lord and Savior. God, we are so thankful for you and so grateful for you. Would you help us? Help us, Lord God, to walk this walk. Help us to live this life. Lord God, we know that we fail in a multitude of different ways. We know that we will fail. Not only this week, but next week and the weeks beyond, we, we are still operating in sinful bodies, Lord God. We know, as a matter of fact, that we are not saved by words. We are saved by grace, Lord God. But we do know that in our salvation, transformation comes. So, Lord, we know that the desire to pursue you is there. So, Lord, would you continue to feed that desire by your spirit? Father, when we fail, may we find refuge in your arms through your son Jesus Christ and his perfect sacrifice on the cross for us. Father, if there be any in this room who operate in faith, believe, who are here for things outside of you, Lord God, would you transform them by your grace and true belief? And if there be any here, Lord God, operating in their own self-deception, Father, may you transform them, shine your light into their hearts. They may see you for who you really are and be transformed. Father, we have no words today. And so when you give us a church of fire, these days we ask you in Jesus' name. This message was brought to you by the family and friends of City Light Church. For church worship times, directions, support opportunities, or other ministry information, please visit www.citylightvicksburg.org.